Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. I'm Joy Dooling, and you are listening to the Joy of Membership podcast. This podcast is for membership leaders. So we talk about strategies for attracting, engaging, and retaining members. But that's not entirely the focus of the show, because let's be honest here, there is no shortage of advice out there on best practices in membership. What we need to talk about is how to actually make those things possible in the real world, how to be absolutely sure that growth practices are going to stick, how to make those things easier, more consistent, and even automatic in some cases. Sound good? Then stick around because we're about to jump into it. Hey there, Joy Dooling here, host of the Joy of Membership podcast. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode. We talk a lot in this show about providing members with value. If you've listened to many episodes, you've probably noticed that being truly helpful for members comes in many different shapes and sizes. And I hope that you find the stories that you've heard to be inspirational and full of little idea nuggets that you can apply to your own organization. Still, you may find yourself returning to questions like, how can my organization create more value? Are there parts of the member experience where we aren't performing as well as we could? If those questions feel familiar, I'd like to invite you to download my free member experience scorecard. It's a quick one-page assessment that tells you exactly where your membership-based organization has areas of strength that you can build on and areas of gap where you're probably going to want to improve. The scorecard is free and in less than 10 minutes, you'll gain some actionable insights. You can grab your copy right now at joyofmembership.com slash scorecard. This week's guest is one of my longtime clients, Samantha Oldsfry from the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans. As CEO of I'm Hip, as it's known, Samantha is a staunch advocate for her members. She is responsible for coordinating legislative strategies, testifying before legislative committees, and working closely with state agency administrators to formulate and implement policy that positively impacts members. With all of that on her plate, Samantha has to intersect with a wide variety of stakeholders, and she is constantly trying to find the best ways to connect the dots between everyone who needs to be abreast of latest issues and understand the diversity of perspectives that are always present when you are talking about healthcare policy. One of the newest strategies that Samantha is using is a podcast, which she sees as an important part of the association's communication strategy, but also as a tool to enhance the association's membership experience. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Samantha Oldsfry. Hey, Samantha, thanks for being here today. I'm so excited to have you here on the podcast. I'm so excited to be with you, Joy. Thank you for having me. Okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your organization and who you help? All right, so I'm the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans. 
We serve the entire industry of health plans contracted with the state of Illinois to serve the Medicaid population. Collectively, the health plans serve over 2 million people across the state of Illinois coordinating their health care services. So we see our role um, a little unique in that we both are serving, obviously, our health plan members. We're serving the industry, but we're also trying to promote and strengthen the Medicaid program as a whole. So we really take a public policy lens and looking at the integrity and the strength of the entire Medicaid program and looking at it holistically. So I noticed probably a year ago, maybe, have you been doing your podcast for about a year? That sounds about right. Okay, so I've noticed over the past year you've been publishing podcast episodes, and I wondered if you could tell us about what the podcasting is doing for the association. Why did you choose to do that? What can you tell us about that strategy? So the podcast started from really wanting to serve as an educator on public policy and the Medicaid program, and there's been a lot of confusion about Medicaid, Medicare, you know, and healthcare in general for quite a while now. And so we wanted to serve as sort of an educator and simplify the discussion around healthcare. We felt like a podcast format was going to be a little simpler to do that rather than a lot of written material which already exists, but felt like it wasn't necessarily as accessible, but also that it's much more difficult to develop a lot of written material and publish it and sort of keep up with it and then go back and update it. Then to just have a conversation with industry leaders and to have that. So it started off as just wanting to educate on the basics of healthcare, Medicaid, what does it mean to have Medicaid in Illinois, sort of general public health discussions, getting vaccines, basic stuff like that. It's since really pivoted to an opportunity to highlight both our members, so all the health plans and the trusted partners that we work with and the work they're doing as well. So having them on to talk about the work they're doing around health equity or the innovations that they're implementing, the supports they're providing to community-based organizations or clinical research that they're doing. We have a lot of clinicians at Health Plans and with our partners and giving them a format to have that dialogue has really been helpful and is a unique way to engage and then promote our membership that maybe they wouldn't have had is, again, we could do a joint blog post or a guest blog post, but the podcast allows them to show their personality a little bit more um, and really dive in and have a genuine and authentic discussion. So your podcast audience isn't your members per se, but it's more the stakeholders that your members are trying to reach. Is that accurate? It's a little bit of both. So we view it as it's our members and it's the legislators that we work with, the stakeholders that we work with, the advocates, and then the public at large, depending on our topics. We'll actually do social media advertising behind them and actually do a little concerted push. And then some of it is just we're posting that the episodes have been posted um, on our accounts and having people share them. It depends on the topic. So can you share a little bit about what you've learned about doing podcasting? I feel like I'm still so new at it, even though we've been doing it for a long time, especially in 2020, things have changed. So we've started adding actually just in our, our upcoming episodes, we've started adding video. 
And I think that'll be helpful. So early on, it was really just sort of a traditional podcast and just having the audio. More often than not, pre-pandemic, we actually scheduled meetings and had people in person meet us. And so we could have a dialogue and really get to know folks and then dive into the podcast. But it was just still, even though we were sitting in the same room, it was just an audio recording. Earlier in the pandemic, we would just do either myself or just have somebody via a conference call and recording. But we've since pivoted to a Zoom platform where we'll have the recording, still publish it, just audio as well, but then also publish the recording and sort of the dialogue. I really liked that because I did not love when it was just a conference call dialogue for the podcast, especially when you have guests on. I think there's a component of interaction and seeing where the conversation goes with them. And it's harder to do that in a conference call format. I found that we were more likely to sort of step on one another simply because you can't tell, are they done with their sentence or are they just pausing? And being able to have those visual cues is really helpful. So I really enjoyed the video recording platform. I also think when possible, really scheduling out ahead of time, if you're going to have guests, the various topics and linking them together, having themes is always helpful just to stay organized and to stay on top of things. It's also when you're bringing folks on, people's calendars get so full, being able to fit everybody in. We've also pivoted. This is something that I'm grateful for to having standing times that we're recording. So then our team is already booked and has that penciled in. And then we can offer sort of these are the three dates we have open. And having that structure is really key in trying because we found early on, once we started having guests on the podcast, that sometimes it would take weeks to get something scheduled simply because there are so many moving pieces. Because we have, when we do our podcast, it's myself and Durandal as part of the discussion. And then we have our communications team who helps edit down the content and make sure that it's succinct and that we were clear and just sort of having that outside person listening to it and saying, oh no, I didn't think that thing you said that you thought was really weird. I didn't think it sounded weird or you dropped your pen, but no one could hear it. It's okay. Or, oh no, it was really loud. We've got to you know, retake that. So we've got those folks And so there are a lot of people's calendars we've got to, you know, work around. And so having that standing time is helpful. I also find my last little sort of tidbit is however long your podcast is, like if it's five minutes, if it's 10 minutes, if it's 30 minutes, I always find I need 10 to 20 minutes beforehand to just chat with the person. Even if I know this person and know exactly what we're going to talk about and know my questions, I find that you just spend some time just discussing like their family, the weather, just anything, your conversation is going to sound more authentic because it is in fact more authentic. And so those are the things, even if you're only recording a 10 minute podcast, I like a 10 to 20 minute prep session prior to recording. So if an organization out there thinks that podcasting might be something that they're interested in exploring, where do you think they should start first? So I think figuring out 
who your audience is going to be and how you're going to use it. Is it going to be, we're going to update our membership on what we've been doing rather than a weekly newsletter. Maybe you do a weekly podcast and you say, this is what the association has been doing and what's coming up. Or maybe it is like how we use it, which is to highlight our members, our trusted partners and the the folks we work with. And then you have then a lot more flexibility in terms of audience and topics. You There's a lot to talk about. So figuring out what you want to use it for, I will say that it is out of everything we have done, it has felt the most accessible. I always joke like I'm like an old school millennial, even though I'm actually not an older millennial, but I've never loved really engaging with social media, but I've actually enjoy our podcast because it is just getting to know and work with people more than you do in other ways in which you promote your association or you promote the work that you're doing or the work that others are doing. So I enjoy that. Not everybody does. And so if you're a writer and you prefer to write a lot, and then a podcast might not be the right format. But if you love the dialogue and bringing folks together, then it's a great format. And so starting with what you're going to talk about and then who you're going to talk about it with. And I think even for a leader who is not super um, extroverted, the type of person who wouldn't necessarily be comfortable you know, standing in front of a room and engaging the crowd, podcasting is something that to me feels, it feels so easy because it is just conversation between, like today, just between you and I. But yet everyone who is listening in on this conversation hears our voices in their ears and it creates a you know very intimate connection and they really get to know you and the organization. So I would just say ditto to everything that you just shared, all of your tips as a podcaster myself, I would echo that wholeheartedly. I'm glad that I am in good company and you're in agreement because when in doubt, I just do what Joy says. So if you have tips. (laughs) Well, where can people connect with you and with I'm Hip if they've been intrigued by this conversation, they want to know more about your organization? So our website, imhip.net, you can find our, on our insights page, you can find our video library, uh, podcasts, episodes, and also on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and all our handles at imhip, but we're the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans. Awesome. Thank you so much, Samantha. I appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you, Joy, and stay well. Joy here, back with a few thoughts about this week's episode. In case you hadn't noticed, this is the 27th episode of the Joy of Membership podcast, which means I just passed over the six-month threshold for the show. It has been a remarkable journey, and I'm grateful that so many of you have been with me for the ride. Did you know that as of January 2021, there were more than 1.7 million podcasts in existence with a collective total of 43 million episodes? While podcasting once catered to an outer fringe of listeners, it has become significantly more mainstream. To highlight how rapid the growth has been, in mid-2018, there were only 550,000 podcasts. That's according to data from Apple, which means that more than 1.25 million podcasts have been launched in about two years' time. 
I never recommend that an organization start a podcast just because it's becoming popular. However, it is worth considering if it fits into the member experience you are aiming to create. In fact, it could be woven in as a strategy in several different stages of the membership journey. Now, obviously, a lot of people would think of it in discovery, which is the first stage of member experience, because it could potentially help more new members find out about you. However, podcasting also fits in the second stage of member experience, which is contemplation. Once a prospective member finds out about you, listening to your podcast may be what convinces them that there is value in joining. Beyond those early stages, if you had a private members-only podcast, that can be a great tool in the areas of onboarding and engagement. Because in those stages, bringing members information that is timely and valuable is part of the benefits that you want to offer. Then as you get into pre-renewal and post-renewal stages, you have all sorts of opportunities with the podcast to showcase success stories that show the value of what you do. And you could even invite a renewing member to share their story with your listening audience. So with a little creativity, a well-planned and well-executed podcast can actually serve your audience at almost every stage of the member journey. If you haven't given any thought to podcasting as something that you could build into your member experience, it may be time to give it a try. In other news, for those of you who have been following along with the upcoming launch of my new member care software, I am delighted to tell you that we are still on track for a public launch by the end of first quarter. It has been so fun and super rewarding to see the pilot participants getting as excited as I am about what's actually possible with the software. It is specifically designed around the member journey, which I talk about all the time. When you get into the software, you'll see that it has contacts and conversations and pre-planned campaigns and automations, and it's going to make things magically happen around your membership journey that you haven't been able to consistently do if you've been trying to manually make everything happen. So if you would like to see what I have been making such a fuss about, or if you think that your organization might be interested in becoming a pilot site before the official launch, just go ahead and visit joyofmembership.com software. You can see what I've been talking about. And there's a form there on that page to request a demo. And I would be delighted to talk with you during that demo about the possibilities for your organization and how it can really make a difference in how you serve members. That's what I have for you this week. I will be back with another episode next week. And in the meantime, take care. Hey there, you made it all the way to the end. Bravo to you. I'm back in just one last time to remind you that there's a free one-page PDF available over at the website that shows you more than 20 ways that technology could be supporting your efforts to attract, engage, and retain more members. 
It's actually broken down into the stages of the member journey. So you'll know exactly where each piece fits. And everything that's on that one pager can actually be automatically done for you with software that costs less than $1,000 per year. So if you haven't already grabbed it, you can get your copy at joyofmembership.com slash tech. joyofmembership.com slash tech. T-E-C-H. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.